0: James chapter 5, verse 16. Very familiar passage. I'm going to read it from the New King James. It says, Confess your trespasses to one another, that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or a white righteous woman avails much. Tonight I want us to look for a few moments, because we don't have much time, on the subject, I want us to talk just a few moments on the subject of effective prayer. Effective prayer. A lot of you know about prayer. You've been around church very long. You know about prayer. But there's a difference between prayer and effective prayer. Uh, prayer is a topic you hear all the time about church. What is prayer? Simply this. Prayer is communicating with God. Listening and talking to Him. Prayer is communicating with God. God. Listening and talking to Him. One of the verses in the Bible that gives me motivation—turn me down just a little bit, bud—that gives me motivation to pray and to learn the art of prayer. Prayer is an art; you have to learn to pray effectively. People get born again, and we just tell them pray. You just got to start praying. Well, you—you—it's ha- an art. You can learn to pray effectively. In fact, if you've never been taught to pray taught to pray, you'll never be effective in prayer. And if you're not effective in prayer, you do not reap the results of prayer. And that's the reason a lot of people just, a lot of Christians just struggle with prayer, is they never get any results. So they stop praying. But there is one verse of Scripture in this verse, in James chapter 5, verse number 16, confess your sins to each other, pray, everybody say pray, pray, pray for each other so that you'll be healed. The earnest prayer The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer, one translation says, The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person produces great power and produces great results. Listen to what the New King James says. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer. Of a righteous man avails much. The effective fervent. Now we in the Pentecostal charismatic ranks, we just hit the fervent prayer. Because that word fervent means intense. It literally means intense. And some people get the idea, if you scream loud enough, if you holler loud enough, if you cry enough, if your face turns red enough, if you're serious enough, then you'll get your prayer answered. I'm going to tell you something. You can scream and be ineffective. You can cry and be ineffective. It's the effective, intense prayer that makes power available. So the Holy Spirit, through the writer James, tells us that confessing and praying for one another produces healing. And then the Holy Spirit makes an amazing statement about prayer. He says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much the word effective means well grounded on evidence a prayer grounded on evidence a fervent or intense prayer in grounded on evidence of a righteous man a person in right standing with god avails much that word that phrase avails much means makes power available One translation says, turns a situation around. So a prayer, an intense prayer, grounded on evidence of a man or woman in right standing with God will turn a situation around. Let me say that again. An intense prayer, grounded on evidence... Of a man or woman in right standing with God has the ability to turn a situation around. Let's look at it at the the Living Bible. The Living Bible says this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The English Standard Version says this. The prayer of a righteous person has great uh, power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person. Uh, the, the New Living Translation says, The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and wonderful results. The Amplified says this, The heartfelt and persistent. The heartfelt and persistent prayer. Let's see, go down, let me see. The, the earnest, heartfelt. Hmm. Let's, I'll read it off that. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Do you have the Good News translation? It says the prayer of a good person has a powerful effect. And then the Message translation. Put it up there. Do you have the message? You don't have that one? I'm sorry. The message translation says, The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Let me repeat that. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. This verse simply informs us that effective prayers of people in right standing with God can make a difference. Your prayers can make a difference. Now, over the years, I've asked the question many, many times to Christians How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? How are you doing in your prayer life? Couples come to me and they're having marital problems. I say, Well, how are you doing praying? People come to me and say, Pastor, I'm just not as passionate about the Lord as I used to. I say, How's your prayer life? People will come to me and say, You know, I just don't sense God moving in my life. I say, Well, how's your prayer life? How are you doing? In prayer. And over and over I get the same response. Not as good as it should be. If I was to ask you this evening, how's your prayer life? How many of you would probably say, just not as good as it should be? Raise your hand. All right. I've discovered that many Christians don't know what a proper prayer life looks like. So if you don't know what a proper prayer life looks like, then how can you know if your prayer life is what it should be or not? Often I will follow up that question with this question. Why is your prayer life not what it should be? Why is your prayer life not what it should be? And surprisingly, a few would give me an honest answer. And their answer is this. I just don't get answers when I pray. I just don't get answers when I pray. And if I don't get answers, I just have lost my motivation to pray. Fortunately, during my spiritual formation, prayer was one of the spiritual disciplines that was instilled in me as a boy. So I don't even think about living the Christian life without a daily prayer life. The spiritual formation of you might be worship. Some of your worship was a, was a big emphasis in your spiritual formation. Others of you may be Bible reading was your emphasis during your spiritual formation. For others of you, it might have been serving. I, I was talking to a person this week and said, if I'm not out serving somewhere in some ministry somewhere, I don't feel like I'm, I'm uh, serving the Lord like I need to. I've got to be serving all the time. So that was a, that was a discipline in their spiritual formation, uh, serving. Some people think giving. That's what they were taught. Christianity means to Give. It means to give. So giving is not an issue with them. They, they do giving real good. But for me, it was prayer. It was prayer. My family taught me to pray. My family prayed. That was just a part. We prayed over every meal. We prayed every day at the house. Everybody had to go to their bedroom at a certain time and pray every single day. You had a prayer time. So that discipline of prayer was instilled in me. And because today prayer is something I enjoy, I've studied quite a bit about the subject of prayer. And I've learned this. The more you learn about it and do it correctly, the more you'll enjoy it. And I want to give you... There's many ways to get to the top of a mountain. And I want to get you up to the mountain of prayer tonight and maybe throw out something that you've never thought about as a motivation to pray as a Christian. If prayer is a struggle for you, you can change that. There are dozens and dozens of ways to teach prayer. But tonight, for a few minutes, I want to teach you a way, something about prayer that probably you've never thought about before. Here we go. The first coming of Christ was scheduled and planned before the foundation of the earth. The first prophecy that Jesus would even come to earth is found in the book of the beginnings, Genesis. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Adam and Eve had just sinned, and God talks to the serpent. And this is what God pronounces over the serpent. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between Satan and man, and between your seed and her seed. He, the woman's seed, will bruise your head, and you will bruise the woman's seed's heel. The woman's seed, which he's prophesying here about Jesus being the seed of man, he's going to strike a death blow to your head, Satan. But what all you will be able to do to him is bruise his heel. All right? So this is the first prophecy about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, various aspects of Jesus' coming was prophesied over many years. Then we read in Genesis 4.4. 4. Turn to Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. It says this, Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So, early on, selected prophets prophesied about the coming of Jesus all through the Old Testament. Prophets prophesied about the coming of Jesus. But the closer that we got to Jesus' coming, more people got involved in Jesus' coming other than prophets. More people were involved. Now hang with me. You say, what does this have to do with prayer? I'm getting ready to show you. All through the Old Testament, people prophesied that Jesus is coming. Messiah is coming. The Lord is going to send a deliverer. It happened for thousands of years, hundreds of years. People said, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Different people from different families, different lineages, under different rules, living in different lands, prophesied by the Spirit of God, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Deliverer is coming. And most of these were prophets or kings, by the time Jesus got here, the closer it got to him being born here on earth, multiple people were involved in telling the story that Jesus is coming. In other words, multiple people the Spirit of God was using to reveal to mankind that Jesus was coming. For example, Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus couldn't have got here without her. Joseph was not the biological father, but he helped raise Jesus. And the angel of God said to him, you are going to be the father of Jesus before Jesus was ever born. Zachariah and Elizabeth, even in their old age, had a part to play in the coming of Jesus. Wise men, they were involved in the coming of Jesus. They followed the star. Shepherds came to worship Jesus after an angelic visitation. These people... All of these people were involved in Jesus' first coming and had a vital role to play and function to perform in preparing the way of the Lord. That's important. Look at that again. These people were involved in Jesus' first coming and had a vital role to play and function to perform in preparing the way of the Lord. Two others that we often overlook... Anna and Simeon. People who prayed. We see only a glimpse of Anna and Simeon at the end of their ministry, but Anna had prayed for many years for the coming of Jesus to occur. In fact, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Everybody still with me? Luke chapter 2, verse number 22. Notice what it says. Luke chapter 2 verse 22. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Talking about Jesus. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord. Either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. At at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And he revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. Hmm. Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very so, what a prophecy. Verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple Now notice that. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with what? Fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now listen to me. Just like there were people involved preparing the way for the coming, the first coming of Jesus Christ. Understand this the second coming of Jesus will also involve many different people whose functions will be like those we have seen in his first coming. God is raising up people now to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And at John's birth, he gave this prophecy. Zechariah did. Luke chapter 1, verse 76. Notice what it says. And you, to John the Baptist, the father prophesying to his son, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. Look at the Good News Translation. It says this, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High God. You will go ahead of the Lord to prepare His road for Him. In other words, listen, John the Baptist built a spiritual road which Jesus walked on in His ministry. John the Baptist built a spiritual road which Jesus walked on in His ministry. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. As it is written in the prophets, and I'm getting ready to show you where it was written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. This is talking about John the Baptist. Who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Now, John the Baptist was quoting the prophet Isaiah about Jesus. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was ever born, said this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. He said, The voice of one crying into the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Talking about John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make... Make it, says in verse 3, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now look at verse 4. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you see it? That the glory of the Lord was not revealed to the people until there was a path made for the glory. He said, John the Baptist is coming, and the crooked paths are going to be made straight, and there's going to be a highway in the desert, and then he says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed to the people. In other words, he's saying, until a road was built until a highway was made for the glory to come on, and it took some people to make that highway and to prepare that road, until that occurred, Jesus could not come. And the glory of God could not be revealed. Do any of you remember when Interstate 24 was being built out here? Do any of you remember that? Some of you remember? I remember when uh, I-65, Amanda and I was raised in Columbia, Tennessee, and I remember when I-65 was being, I was just a little boy, and my dad said, come on, he'd take us out there uh, on Friday night. We'd go out and eat on Friday night. And he took us out there after we eat, and would see all the big equipment. And where there's a road today, there was just dirt, and they were building Interstate 65. And I remember that being done. Today you can go from 65, where can you go? From Indianapolis all the way down to Mobile, Alabama on Interstate 65. But I remember when there wasn't no what road there. In fact, you couldn't get to Mobile. It was the next, thing, next, next city was Cuba. You couldn't get there from Tennessee. Now listen, through effective prayer, we are building a highway that will give access into particular places for the glory of God to be revealed in your life. Jesus couldn't come until somebody had built the road. The glory of God cannot be revealed. Isaiah said that the glory of God cannot be revealed until somebody makes a way. Until somebody makes a pathway. Until somebody can create make the crooked path straight and a highway in the desert, the glory of God could not be revealed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could not come unless somebody on earth made the way for Him to get here. Everyone was involved. Many people were involved in the coming of Jesus. Just as a highway takes time to complete in the natural, spiritual roads take time also. There is a ministry in prayer which is comparable to road building, where diligence and persistence are required if the road is ever to be finished. And most of us get our equipment out and get started on our highway, and we get discouraged, and we never finish our road. When Jesus wants to manifest His glory in a place, a family, a church, a nation... He needs a highway to get His glory through. Our effective praying clears the way for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. Why do I pray every day? Because I'm a road builder. Notice, remember what Isaiah said? The glory doesn't come until the path has been made clear. Until there's a highway in the desert. What was John the Baptist? He was one performing a function to prepare the way of the Lord. What does my praying do? What does your praying for your family do? You say, well, I've been praying for my child for four years and nothing's happening. I've been praying for my marriage for four years and nothing's happening. And nothing's going to happen until the road gets completed. And then the glory of the Lord has a way to get to your family. He has a way to get to your children. So every day, when you and I are praying, and you think, I'm not getting anywhere. This is not accomplishing anything. It's the same thing over and over. God's not listening. You are building a spiritual road for the glory of God to come through on. You are spiritual road builders. Our nation today needs some spiritual road builders. Your family needs spiritual road builders. And the glory of God will not come. The glory of God will not come until the way is made for them to come. All right? So I want us to do something tonight before we go. I want us to pray for our families. And I want you to pray in this regard. I don't want you to pray tonight for your family thinking that I'm going to get home and my prayer is going to be answered. I want you to pray tonight thinking, I'm putting another mile on this road. I'm putting another mile on this road. Okay? Everybody stand with me, would you? How many of you have family members that need Jesus Christ? How many of you have family members that Jesus? All right. Now, here's how we're going to pray. Number one, we're going to pray that Satan will be bound who's blind in them. Satan's bound in Jesus' name. Bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Second thing, we're going to pray that labors will be sent across their path to share Jesus with them. The Bible says, "Pray you, the Lord of the harvest, that He'd send forth labors into His harvest." There's chances are you and I cannot reach our family, but God knows somebody who can reach our family, and the key is to get them there. Now that's how we're going to pray. Well, then what does what does that mean? What has happened? We've just added some more road. For the glory of God to get to our family members. God's glory is not coming without a way prepared for it. All right? And that's what prayer does. It prepares the way for the glory to be revealed to our family. So right now, let's pray.